The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. I am happy to be joined by former New York Jets, spent some time with the New Orleans Saints and some time with the New England Patriots, longtime Jet, and he's in the Jets' ring of honor. Uh, please help me welcome in Victor Green. Victor, thank you for joining us again. Nick, thanks for having me, partner. Hey, listen, I, what I want to talk to you about, I, I know you spent a long time in that Jets organization, <coughs> and, and, and recently we saw the Jets improve their roster. I know everyone is chasing the New England Patriots, and the AFC East, and they pretty much controlled and dominated that division. Now we've seen Buffalo get Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan made a couple of moves of himself, and then now Todd Bowles is now hired as the head coach, and they bring Cromarty and Rivas. You know, when, when you look at the fact that you bring your two cornerstones back into the fold after being gone for about two or three years, how does this affect the Jets? But more importantly, how does it change the landscape of what could possibly happen in the AFC East? Well, speaking of the AFC East, Nick, I think that the Jets definitely closed the, closed the margin. I think all the teams have narrowed the margin as far as the New England Patriots concerned. Uh, as you mentioned, they all have gotten better, I think, this offseason with the uh, transactions that they have made. Um, the Jets, you know, bringing back, as you were talking about, Revis and, and Kamadi, and another other uh, <clears throat> parts to that defense as well. I mean, they're doing some really good things right now. And, um, you know, you got to put the Jets up there. I still think they need to bring in some a receiver uh, to go along with Brendan Marshall. Um, but I think they're doing some really good things, and I think you'll see a, a much better defensive play from the New York Jets this year. Now, I know you talk about the wide receiver position and possibly bringing another wide receiver, but when I look at this roster, and especially on the offensive side of the ball, you have Brandon Marshall, and then you put him with Eric Decker, who was great under the tutelage of Peyton Manning. But now the, the question was Geno Smith. I mean, Rex and the old regime drafted Geno Smith to be that next quarterback for the New York Jets, but for somehow he, he's had some struggles on morning wigs offense. Now they bring in Chang Gailey for a former Buffalo Bills uh, head coach. And he has some familiarity with, with the, with the offense and the division itself. But then you, you go out and you trade the Houston Texans and, and you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, smart guy. I mean, he's known for being a very smart guy. He went to Harvard, but can he be the guy that actually helps the Jets once again, dethrone the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. 
Christian Nick, uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a very uh, steady quarterback in the NFL. Um, I don't think he's a franchise guy, um, but he is a very manageable quarterback that I think won't lose football games for you. Um, you surround him with the type of talent that they have and that they're going to continue to do this offseason and through the draft. I think he can manage um, – he can manage a football team, and he was with Shane Gailey, so he knows his offensive system pretty well, and I think he'll do a really good job. But, you know, I've talked to Geno Smith. I've talked to him a few times over the offseason. He's out in California training right now, and uh, I'm not going to count Geno out right now. Um, I think is you know, even though they brought in Prince Patrick and they're going to give him every opportunity to be the starting quarterback, but... You know, I'm gonna give the air to Gino right now. I think he's uh, he's learned a lot in the last couple of years, and this all season is big for him. So I think he's gonna be he's gonna come back, you know, ready to compete for that job. It's funny you say that because last year he, you know, had a lot of frustration, and a lot of it came out and was shown on the field. Uh, sometimes when you know, and you know, as a guy playing in New York, how the fans can really be really tough on the hard and tough on the player. But there was a, a point in the season last year where he was really emotional. Some fans had said something to him, and then he was lashing out almost like he wanted to break out in the fisticuffs. And, and I know you say you, you talked to him. Have you talked to him about that part and managing that part of his game, controlling his I emotions? Have. I, I have, Nick. And uh, I think, uh, again, he understands the, the, the two years of frustration he'd gone through being in New York. He understands the fan base. He understands the pressure. And, you know, a plan in New York City. And uh, and I think, you know, with the two years, he had a growth. And you look at the last, the latter part of this, uh, the last season, he played pretty decent. Um, and I think he, if he can carry that over, you know, the mental aspect of it and understanding, you know, what he needs to do in New York and don't put too much pressure on himself. And I think talking to him, that's what he's done over the last couple of years, being in New York, being a second-round draft pick and, and, and giving the throne in New York, um, he put a lot of pressure on himself. And, and I think he's going to go back and kind of, you know, think things through, uh, get his game together mentally and physically, uh, mechanically, and I think he's going to be a much better quarterback. If you just join us, we're talking to longtime Jet Victor Green. You can find him on Twitter, at VictorGreen21. Now, Victor, I know you had a chance to play – for or Todd Bowles in New York and for those individuals who really don't know that much about Todd Bowles as far as being in a head coaching position, what can you enlighten them on about the characteristic and the type of guy that Todd Bowles is? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, you, you look at Todd and he's a very even keel type of a coach. If you look at him on the sidelines and, and, and the way he the way he go about his business. But Todd, you know, he has a he has a fire behind him. And he, he understands, as a defensive coordinator he's been in the past, how to get the, his players to play for him without all the hoopla and the yelling and, and all that deal. And I think, he, I think he'll use that same type of approach uh, leading this football team. Um, I do think he was the best candidate for the job. I think with the veteran leadership that Jets have on that, that, that football team, Todd is the right guy to kind of, you know, mush all that together and uh he is a fiery guy but he's a even tier type of coach which is a very smart guy and i think he'll i think he'll do good uh for that roster and and, and you're gonna see good things especially on the defense side of the ball 
um, you know, um, and, and, and running that defense. Uh, he brought Shan Gailey, who's, you know, who was his first choice. Uh, and, and I think Shan will do a great job on that offensive side of the ball and just let him concentrate on the team. And, and I think you'll see a, a really good coach in Todd Bowles. I think the Jets fans will be very happy with him. Well, you know, I'm really excited to see what this defense is going to look at because watching Todd last year with uh, Coach Arians down in Arizona, he had Peterson on one corner. And the one thing he loved to do is he loved to blitz. And I know the mm-hmm. Jets fans would like to see, you know, a quarterback, you know, under duress and something that they used to have when they had John Abraham in the fold, being able to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So I'm, I'm looking to see if Todd can actually generate that with this type of uh, personnel that they have. Now, looking in the division as a whole, I have to go to, to Miami Dolphins. And I think, you know, every year in free agency, teams are looking to make the big splash and have the sexy pick or, or sign the sexy guy. <laughs> Uh, but you look at what the Dolphins did. They bring a guy in like, in like Ndamuk and Sue, and they put him with Cameron Wake. And that, that, that's the one thing, you know, I love about what the Dolphins decided to do. They lost a couple of close games last year, but Ndamuk and Sue, to me, changes the landscape of the division as a whole and the Miami Dolphins. Now, with having a guy like that on your team as an elite interior pass rusher, how does that change not what the, about what the Jets do offensively, but the Patriots as well I mean you know he's a game changer I mean signing that guy to the type of money they signed him for he was well worth the money let me tell you that anybody out there that's questioning that situation part of it but you know he's a game changer man like you said lining up you know with Wake who's one of the best pass rusher they gonna cause some problems for the Patriots the Jets and the New England uh, Buffalo Bills and if they can stay healthy, man, that's going to be one of the tough, uh, one of the teams that the AFC and the NFL don't want to see. Um, like you mentioned, that they 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 lost a couple close games, um, got a few points or less. But this this guy here is is going to make that football team a lot better. Um, they went out and signed a great tight end and, and Jordan Cameron. Don't forget about that to add to that offense and Kenneth Steele, who I love. I loved him in New Orleans. I think that was a big mistake by trading, letting him go. Um, but that team is, is definitely upgraded from last year. And, uh, and I, I, I look forward to this year. I think the AFC East has been so competitive, especially the years that I played and when the, New, uh, the Indianapolis Colts was in there. And I think it's going to be that competitive nature again uh, starting to get this year. We're talking to former New York Jets and New England Patriot Victor Green. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter at VictorGreen21. Vic, you play for both organizations, the Jets and the Patriots. And no matter what sport, whether it's basketball or baseball, these fans hate one another. And with the fact that you're playing in both organizations, for you, what's the difference in the mentality of the organizations? You know, I, I, I think, you know, you know, you can't get better fans, you know, number one. Uh, they got they both got great fans, and they love their footballs. Uh, Organizational-wise, I mean, I think it's a mentality. Uh, in New England, playing, playing there with Belichick, I think he brings his own mentality. Forget about the organization because he is the organization. Um, in New York, I think it's more of a, a collective uh, type of uh, organization where everybody is, is, is the team. But I think in New England, it's the mentality of Belichick and Tom Brady. 
And I think that's the big difference uh, in the two organizations. It's, it's Tom Brady and Belichick, and it's the New York Jets. So I think that's the best way I can sum it up. Now, you know, there's been a lot of conversations sparked over the recent retirement of a lot of guys in the NFL. Uh, you had Jake Locker, who retired after only four years, and Patrick Willis battling injuries. Great linebacker with the 49ers for eight seasons. And then, as of late, Chris Borland, another linebacker for the 49ers. He was, he was third-round draft choice, had over 100 tackles last year. Not your ideal-sized linebacker, but he decided he was going to retire after a year because he didn't want the effects of concussions to affect him long-term. Do you think this situation can now change how we view the football and how players are taking care of, you know, on the field and off the field, especially after they retire retire in the NFL? You know, even though we have the, the, you know, the early retirement of the players you just mentioned, um, I I don't think it's going to change one bit. Um, I don't know personally you know, what injuries these guys have and how, how that affect them. They get headaches every day or whatever the situation is. But maybe it's a situation that they just couldn't, they just couldn't play football anymore. And, and as you know, Nick, you got to love the game. Mm-hmm. You got to love it. And you got to love it to a point where if you, you can play, you're going to play. And you love the game enough that if you can't give it all you got, you got to walk away from it. And I think with all these guys – Cases, I think that's got to be the case of it. You know, Patrick Willie, one of the best linebackers, you know, in the game today, you know, but he's been hurt the last couple of years. And it's probably to a point, you know, a doctor probably said, you know what, man, you, you know, you take another wrong hit, you know, it's going to paralyze you. So you don't know the conversation that these guys have had, but I know to play this game and the love I have for the game, if I can play, I'm going to play. And if I had you know, information to say that, you know, I was talking to Curtis Martin. Martin, he was, the doctor told him the same thing. Curtis still had a year or two left in it. But he had to walk away from the game because he's saying, if you get another hit, you know, it can paralyze you. So that's, I don't see it changing unless the person that making that decision has lost love for the game or they just can't play the game anymore. And, and that's, and that's just my take on it. But I don't see more guys retiring because what the long-term effect is going to be. Um, but that's just my opinion. And uh, if you love the game, you're going to walk away one of the two ways. Like I said, you're going to walk away because you can't play it, or you're going to walk away because it's going to paralyze you, or you know one more hit is going to end your life or your possibly your career. So do you think that there's something that the league can do as far as the advancement in technology as far as protecting the head or maybe even the fundamentals are associated with the game with tackling it and hitting. You think the league can do more about I think, that? I think they're doing all they can do, Nick. I mean, you know, you look at the concussion, it was down 20, 22%, I think, if, if I'm correct. It was down 22% than it was the previous year. So I think with all the play 60, 60 and all the fines and all the things that, you know, the NFL – trying to do to make the game safer, I think they're doing all they can do. Obviously, you know, you can probably make better helmets and, you know, but it's, the guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger every single year. You, you got guys 300 pounds running four sevens. 
when have you heard of that, Nick? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and when you get that much of force, you know, coming at somebody, it's almost dangerous, man. It's like getting in front of a bus. Yeah. So it's it's it, it you know it's just changing so much so much in these players and not so much the game because just the just the size and, and the speed of these guys are, are going these days, man. So you know back in the days I'm saying when I played maybe you know guys coming at you ten miles an hour now they're coming at you twenty miles an hour and they can be <laughs> the same type of weight but the impact is going to be so much more severe that. No matter what you have on, you know, it's going to be a collision there. And somebody's going to get the wrong side of that hit and, uh, you know, may result into something fatal. So uh, I think the NFL is doing a lot. Um, you know, we always and they always can do more. And no matter how much they do, it is always going to be more from, you know, people from the outside looking in. So I, I know Commissioner, I know Troy Benson, and they're going to do whatever they feel can be the best for the game. And I think they're going to continue to try to improve every single year. But it's almost impossible with the guys and the bit, how big and how strong and how fast they become in every single year with all this technology that they got, the world, all these different, you know, these beasts, as you would say. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be hard to change. Man. You know how physical the game is. and You know, these guys ain't getting any smaller. No, no, that, that is definitely true. They're not getting smaller. And I do echo those sentiments about uh, advancements in technology and, and trying to do what you can to protect the players. Uh, before we let you get out of here, uh, there is uh, an event that you are hosting September 15th at the victorgreenfoundation.org. Please go check that out. It's a golf tournament. Uh, tell the people more about that, Vic. Well, it's my foundation, Nick. I appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, as again, you can go to victorgreenfoundation.org. And, you know, my mission is I give to, you know, different foundations that, that serve underserved kids um, in character building, health and wellness, and education. And I give monies to those foundations that I sought out every year that's doing or, or relate to my same vision. And that's what the Victor Green Foundation mission is about. And I have a golf tournament September 15th. If you're interested, again, go to my website, victorgreenfoundation.org. Sign out, sign up. You can donate uh, and help, you know, have some kids strive to be better, uh, you know, in life. There he is, Victor Green. Once again, you can find him on, on Twitter, at victorgreen21. Great stuff. And don't forget the Victor Green Golf Tournament, September 15th. VictorGreenFoundation.org. Go check it out. If you can attend, make sure you're there. As always, Vic, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. And if you run into Curtis, uh, tell my favorite Martian that I would love to have a conversation with him. <laughs> I do that, my friend. He'll be at the golf tournament. You should come up. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, maybe I, I got to come up now. I got to come up now. Thanks, Vic, for, for joining right. us and, and that great insight. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, man. Good job, Nick. I appreciate all you do, man, and keep doing doing what you're doing. All right, appreciate it. Coming up after the break, we'll talk to Greg Peterson about bracketology. If you haven't signed, filled out, signed your bracket, whatever it is, he's going to tell you what you need to know before you solidify that. Listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective on Voice America Sports. <laughs>
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're listening to secondary perspective with nick ferguson to get in the lineup for today's show please call 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com now, back to the show. That was some good stuff from uh, Victor Green. Always a pleasure to have former players call in and, and figure out what they're doing and how they're trying to change uh, their communities and the persona of what people think of professional athletes. But to bring in a guy who knows any and everything about college basketball, especially bracketology, you know, this is the time of year, March Madness, where we try to figure out what teams, based upon how they finish their conference finals, who's going to win in the West and the Mideast and the South, and who's going to be the final four teams, but more importantly, the final two teams to kind of hit the hardwood and duke it out for the final four March Madness uh, championship. I'm joined by Greg Peterson. You can find him on Twitter, at GUnit underscore 81. That's right. At GUnit underscore 81. Radio host for 90.3 WRST and writer for Dudes on Sports. All right, Greg, set it up for me. What is this bracketology thing and how do we understand it? Uh, the bracketology thing is really interesting. You've got 68 teams. I always pick them every day and now it leads into the NCAA tournament and I break it all down as well and I think that we've got a really good tournament this year. This year, the big story is whether or not Kentucky is going to be able to win the national championship. As everyone knows, they're heading into the NCAA tournament 34-0, and it's all about seeing if anyone can beat Kentucky this year in the NCAA tournament. You know, and that's one of my biggest questions, and, and I was wondering before the season, they were in a lot of tight games, and being a former athlete and playing in the NFL, I always felt as though it's great to be road-tested and battle-tested going into uh, the playoffs, and in their, in their case, going into the tournament, I just felt as though, yeah, you want them to be have an unblemished record because it helps basketball and it helps the program. But to have that one loss, maybe it reinvigorates the team to go out and really finish what they started. But being, you know, undefeated, how much pressure is on this team 
right now opposed to early on in the season to remain undefeated and run through this tournament as everyone expects? I'll be honest here. I don't think there's as much pressure as you'd think on this team. Kentucky basketball is a very, very big deal down there. Every time the team lost last year, John Calipari kept saying, oh, my guys are getting too much criticism for losing just one game. So you have to think that the Kentucky media is actually on them no matter how they play. And I think that these kids are used to it because while they haven't been on the college the college experience, all these guys are top 50 recruits and all were at the top of their high schools playing AAU ball and things like that. So while there is a lot of pressure on Kentucky, I think it's a little bit less than what the outside perspective might be. You know, when you look at the, the conference as a whole, I mean, March Madness, that is the tournament, what team poses the biggest threat for this undefeated Kentucky Wildcat team? Oh, man, I would have to say it's a mix of two teams. Wisconsin is one of them because Wisconsin obviously took Kentucky to the brink last year. They were nearly able to knock them off in the Final Four, but Harrison was able to knock down that dramatic three to send Kentucky to the national championship. Frank Kaminsky is a guy that can give Kentucky's bigs down low a little bit of an issue. And then they also have a good guard by the name of Bronson Koenig who stepped up with the injury to Trayvon Jackson, and he's really come into his own, giving this team a three-point element that they didn't have before. And the other team is Duke. Duke is on the other side of the bracket, and actually I think the national championship will be Kentucky versus Duke, and they've got the best low-post player in the nation, Jaleel Okafor. He doesn't play the best defense, but his teammates really pick him up in that aspect. Quinn Cook is a very experienced player. He's a senior guard that's able to knock down, I would say, about 88% of his free throws. He's able to shoot the ball at a really high clip, and then you've got Tyus Jones on that team. Justice Winslow, ever since he had a bad week where the team lost to NC State of Miami, has been absolutely dynamic for this team this year. They're only seven deep, but those seven guys can beat rosters of 10, 11 deep because Duke just has that much, that, that many good players out of those seven, and it's really interesting to see how far Duke can go with that lack of depth. We're talking to Greg Peterson. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. Host for 90.3 WRST and writer for Radio Dudes. When you look at that Wisconsin team and looking at in the West, I mean, you have Oregon that's out there, North Carolina, uh, the number four seed. I mean, how far can this Wisconsin team go? And do you have them being in that Final Four, even though you've already put it out there that you have Duke and Kentucky playing for the tournament championship? I do not have Wisconsin making the Final Four. I actually have Baylor on that side of the bracket. I really like the way Rico Gathers is playing for Baylor. He's a guy that can go off for 20 and 20 on any given night. And they've got a very underrated player by the name of Torian Prince. Prince is averaging right around 14 points and five rebounds per game off the bench. He's had only two performances this year in which he scored in single digits. He's played such a key role in this team, especially lately. In that win against Iowa State that they had a couple weeks ago on the road, he played a big part in that. Baylor has really been hitting their stride the last couple weeks. I know that they suffered a loss against Texas, but I really like what Torian Prince is giving them. And then they've got two really good guards as well. Royce O'Neal is sort of a guard-forward hybrid that's able to spread out the defense. He gives them a little bit of everything. And then you've got Will Cherry, who has been in these situations before. They've got four different players that average in double figures, and that'll be a hard matchup for anyone to go up against. Now, you know, in this tournament, there's always Cinderella teams. And there's always a team that no one's expecting to come out and, and just kind of that David versus Goliath type of thing. Who, who is that team in this year's tournament on either side of the bracket? And how high is that particular team ceiling? 
I'll give you one team that I think will be a Cinderella for like the first round, and that would be Eastern Washington. They're a 13 seed going up against Georgetown, the four seed, and Georgetown has lost to a team that was seeded at least five seeds lower than them in every NCAA tournament appearance that they've made since 2008. Eastern Washington is a team that can definitely knock them off. They've got the nation's leading scorer in Tyler Harvey. He's averaging 22.9 points per game. He shoots it at about 43% from three. Guy is absolutely dynamic. Led the team to a victory over Indiana earlier this year on the road. And he was also able to put a good charge into a Washington team that at the time was ranked in the top 25 and undefeated as well. And then the overall Cinderella that I see is LSU. LSU is a team that has underachieved a little bit, in my opinion. They lost to Auburn in the SEC tournament, but the same team nearly knocked off Kentucky earlier this year. And they also had a really good showing against West Virginia, which they were able to win on the road. They've got the leading shot blocker in the tournament in Jordan Mickey, and Jerome Martin is a really good player as well down low for the LSU Tigers. They average right around 33 points and 19 rebounds as a duo. They've got a really good shooter in Keith Hornsby. He's able to knock down from three. Tim Quarterman and Josh Gray are really good at distributing the ball. So I think that LSU, with that matchup against Villanova, it really favors them because Villanova does not have the size to match up with Martin and Mickey, and I could see them making a big run perhaps as far as the Final Four, but their toughest game is going to be NC State because I see the winner of that game being able to knock off Villanova. Well, you know, early this week, you know, head coach for Hampton, uh, Edward Jr., Jr. Uh, I mean, at the press conference, you have to love it because it adds to uh, the charisma and the flair, which is the March Madness in the basketball tournament. He pretended to call Jesus on the phone and ask Jesus how was his team going to fare against the number one team in the country in Kentucky. And coaches play a big part in motivating their players. Uh, this game is scheduled for 940, I believe, uh, uh, Eastern time. And I know that Hampton is not going to win the game, but can and when your coach pulls off a stunt like that, how much does it actually put on your shoulder to go out and compete to, with a team like a Kentucky and not get blown out? I think it does a lot. You, you can tell the well-coached teams that the teams that just really don't have their heart going to it because some of these coaches just get the most out of their players. We see it every year with Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans team. He never really has the top recruits. He never really has the guys that will just absolutely leap out of the building, the most incredible athletes, but his teams year in and year out give good effort, and you see that at the mid-major level as well. We saw Norfolk State a couple years ago knock off Missouri. I know that they had Kyle Quinn on that team, but Norfolk State should not have been able to beat Missouri on that year, but their head coach did a really good job of pumping the team up, and they were able to pull off a dramatic victory. I think it was like 86-84 to 84 and one of the more exciting games we've ever seen in college basketball. Bucknell over Kansas, Pat Flannery, did a really good job of hyping up his Bucknell team. He kept telling them that you're probably not better than this Kansas team, but if you're able to win for four minutes at a time, you're going to have a chance against them, and as we all remember 10 years ago, Bucknell was able to pull out that huge upset. Once again, we're joined by Greg Peterson. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. Sticking with these college basketball coaches, you know, Rick Bettino has always found himself in a tournament, maybe in a Sweet 16. But, uh, you know, when I look at Louisville and they're in the, they're in the East and Villanova is number one seed in that, in that bracket, what can he do as a head coach? And we're talking about head coaches and how you're able to motivate your players. What can he do to kind of propel his team if they can't get into the Final Four, maybe the Elite Eight? What does he have to do to get his team to that point? 
Uh, I think that he really needs to get a little bit more control of this team. He's been letting them get a little bit out of sorts. The defense just has not been as strong for Louisville this year, and the loss of Chris Jones is absolutely devastating for this team. Honestly, I think that Louisville probably bows out before the Sweet 16, and I could actually see them losing to UC Irvine as UC Irvine, the 13th seed, has a seven foot six center by the name of Mamadou Njai. He is sure a spectacle to watch, but what he really needs to do is to tell his team to play the shutdown defense that they're capable of because typically Louisville is one of the top five defenses in the nation. This year they haven't been quite that, and they're taking up foolish shots as well, which is something you also don't see out of a Rick Patino team. So he needs to tell his team to take some better shots and to lock down on the defensive end. If they're able to do that, then they are possibly able to make that Sweet 16 run. Say they draw either LSU or NC State, then this could be an Elite Eight team that has a chance to go to the Final Four because, in my opinion, the East region is the most open out of all four of them. Now, early this week, you know, ESPN analyst uh, Dick Vitale said that he, he didn't like the pace of the game, not just like one particular team, but when you looked across the board at every team, he thought the, play, the pace was slowed down. And I know, you know, over the, over the past years, the viewership has dwindled when you look at some of the major, uh, I guess, championships. You look at the NBA Finals, you look at the NFL, the M, uh, MLB uh, Finals themselves. Could a quicker pace game kind of bring back the viewership, and do you like this slower pace or you wanted the game to pick up like Dick Vitale said himself? I think that Dick Vitale hit it right on the nose in that it is a little bit too slow in the game. It's just way too defensive-orientated. I have sat through so many 45 to 42 snoozers that it's not even funny this year, and they're really hard to get through. And what I really find refreshing is that college basketball is trying to do something about it. The NIT this year has some new rules in place that they're going to be testing out to see if they'll implement this year. The uh, restricted area in which you have the block charge call has been extended out by a foot, and they're also going with a 35-second shot clock instead of 30. 30 is the shot clock that the women's game used, so it, it only makes sense that both the men and women have the exact same rules. And I commend college basketball for that, but the pace of play right now is atrocious, and I think that we're just sick of seeing 45 to 42 games. So if those rules get in place and the scoring takes up a little bit, that'd be for the better because I think I saw this stat somewhere online that it's been the lowest scoring season in 60 years for college basketball. So that obviously is not going to draw in fans. Now, I know you say you had UC Irvine beating Louisville. Uh, what other top seeds do you see in your bracket falling early? I think that Virginia is going to lose in the third round to Michigan State. Virginia just has not looked like the same team ever since Justin Anderson went out. He was shooting at a clip of about 48.5% from three, and he was playing at an All-American pace, in all honesty. He was one of their best players. Malcolm Brogdon is a nice player for Virginia as well, but even with Justin Anderson in the lineup, their offense was not too explosive, and without him, they just looked absolutely atrocious. And in the two ACC tournament games that Justin Anderson did play, he scored a combined zero points in those games, so... With Justin Anderson out and Tom Izzo being the great coach that he is, Denzel Valentine is a nice player for Michigan State. They'll try to key out on him, and then that'll lead to open looks for Brent Forbes and Travis Trice. I see them bowing out early. And I also see Wisconsin losing to Oregon because, you keep in mind, Oregon last year played Wisconsin in the third round of the NCAA tournament. They looked like they had the game won before Wisconsin shot like 13 or 14 free throws in the final minutes as it all unraveled against Oregon. And... Oregon just really has a good player by the name of Joseph Young. He has just absolutely taken over games. 
He had that dramatic 30-footer in the Pac-12 championship against Utah and hung 29 points on the Badgers last year. I know that they only have three scholarship players returning from the Oregon team of last year, but this is a team that got hot at the end of the year. I think they won eight or nine games in a row before the Pac-12 tournament. So this is an Oregon team that's catching fire at the right time and a Wisconsin team that's very vulnerable if Frank Kaminsky has an off game. Now, now I know everyone is filling out their brackets now. Tell, tell me how you feel out yours because – I used to fill out brackets, but I stopped because there was always that one team, like that Cinderella team that we talked about earlier, that would end up being my bracket buster. When you come out and you start to put your bracket together, how do you go by the selection process and putting what team is going to win and actually trying to predict the score as well? I just look at the matchup. I really don't pay attention to the seeds because they're all subject. They're subjective because sometimes the committee has a team that's like a five or a six seed that I'm there like, man, that team should be a two or a three, and sometimes it's vice versa. So I just try to look at the best teams and try to look to see if there's a star player that could possibly push a team over the top. You take a look at a team like a Wyoming. They're a 12 seed in this year's NCAA tournament. Larry Nance Jr. is a very good player for them. He averages right around 16 points and seven rebounds per game, can actually take over a game with highlight reel dunks, and it's, it's really one of those situations where he can elevate the team better to better than where they might be projected because in basketball one player can take over a game unlike football where you don't have that and keep in mind Larry Dance Jr. was out part of this year with mono for Wyoming so they might be a little bit better than the record indicates on that front and then another thing that you have to take a look at is just their overall track record in the NCAA tournament I mentioned Georgetown before they have bowed out to a team five seeds or lower than them in each of their last five NCAA tournament appearances that tells you that John Thompson III just cannot get it done in March. Pittsburgh is one of those teams, too. They're not in this year's NCAA tournament, but year in and year out, they're a team that disappoints in the NCAA tournament, and that's something that you also want to keep in mind. Just throw seeding right out the window and just pay attention to the matchups and pay attention to their track record. So if you haven't filled out your brackets, it's not too late, even though uh, going on live right now, Notre Dame is ahead of Northwestern by two points in the second half. Go, you still have time to fill out your bracket. You don't have to enter any pool. But Greg Peterson just gave you the lowdown on how you should get it done. That's Greg Peterson, and you can follow him once again at GUnit underscore 81. Greg, enjoy these festivities, that which is March Madness. And I look to have you back on the show once everything is final and said and done and see if you predicted Duke and Kentucky. Would love to do it again. Thank you very much for having me today. All right. Thank you, Greg. Coming up after the break, more NFL talk. Let's talk more about Chris Borland and Dallas Cowboys. Did Jerry Jones make the right move adding Greg Hardy to the roster? I don't know. Let's talk about it on the opposite side of this break. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Say, relax yourself, it'll be so clear. Throwback Thursday, Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective. Of course, that was a tribe call. Quest, very nostalgic uh, song, especially for uh, this time of, of the season. NFL free agency, frenzy. It's kind of like calmed down, and now we're into uh, March madness. But there's a couple things I want to touch on first. Now, it's just kind of been an uproar in Philadelphia with the fan base uh, as Chip Kelly now is the head coach. Now he's a GM. He has full autonomy over what's happening in the personnel department as he tries to piece this team together. And I have to say, I didn't know what was going on when you allow LaShawn McCoy to leave the building, headed for Rex Ryan and Buffalo Bills. And then you bring in Kiko Alonzo. I said it before. I didn't think it was an even trade. You at least have to try to go out and get more. But in another brash, bold move, he goes out and he works out Tim Tebow. Now, he hasn't signed Tim Tebow yet, but just the idea of working out Tim Tebow sends some shockwaves through the fan base. And why is it that we need to bring in a guy like Tim Tebow into the fold? You already traded for Sam Bradford, right? A guy who won, I believe Sam won the Heisman. Tim Tebow won the Heisman. But here's a guy who you are on a hook for for $13 million, and his contract has yet to be renegotiated. And you bring in Tim Tebow when you already have Mark Sanchez and uh, Matt Barkley uh, on the roster. So it's being said that maybe Chip is considering trying to facilitate a trade for Matt Barkley and maybe bring Tim Tebow in as his uh, third quarterback. Uh, What I don't understand is why would any team want to trade for Matt Barkley at this particular point? If it's already proven that the franchise has fallen out of favor or falling out of love with Matt Barkley, all you have to do is wait. Just be patient. At some point, they're going to release him. And then you don't have to give up any money, any picks. You can get him outright. And maybe Matt Barkley in your system can prove to be a quarterback that everyone thought he was when he was coming out of, of USC. So just wait and see what happens. But 
the idea of having both, well, three quarterbacks, have Tim Tebow as your third quarterback, Mark Sanchez as your second quarterback, and having Sam Bradford as your starting quarterback, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles, but it appears that Chip Kelly has this thing pretty much figured out. And I don't want to overly criticize him that much because he has a plan. And call him the evil genius, or you may try to call him something else. But I want to wait and reserve my rights to overly criticize Chip Kelly and his decision uh, before I see uh, what's happening. Uh, we got a caller calling in uh, from New York. Uh, uh, Prater, uh, what do you have to say? Prater, what's going on? You know, I mean, what's, what's going on, man? Uh, what's going on? Glad for, uh, thank you for calling the program. What do you want to talk about? Um, earlier, you were talking about the AFC East and some of the additions that occurred in uh, that particular division. And, um, of course, my team is the Miami Dolphins. So with us signing uh, Duncan Sue, for me, that was huge. But the only problem that I have now is what we're going to do with the offense. We lost pretty much every receiver except Jarvis Landry. And I hear we in talk with um, Michael Crabtree. Well, he's supposed to come visit anyway. So with us making such an addition to defense, but <laughs> subtraction to offense, what do you feel they need to do to compete, you know, with the New England with the New England Patriots who just seen the manhandle our division year in and year out. Well, um, well you know what? I, I think they made the right decision bringing Indominus Sue into the fold because, like I said when I spoke to Victor Green uh, earlier on the program, that when you match him up with Cameron Wake, now you have a guy who can get around the edge and then you put Indominus Sue in the interior of that line, he can push the pocket so the quarterback can't step into his throws. So that should mean extra, you know, pass rush sacks for Cameron Wake. And then you also look at what, how that helps the back end. Anytime you're able to create pressure on the quarterback, that's tips and overthrows. I mean, as a secondary guy, you're licking your chops to have a, a pass rush and a front seven that can get after the quarterback. But it does change, like I told Vic, uh, the landscape of what's going to take place in the AFC East. Now, the Patriots no longer will be the creme de la creme of that conference. Now you have the Bills that are much better on paper. You have a Jets team that's much better on paper. And like you said, from a defensive standpoint, the Miami Dolphins got better. But as far as the offensive side of the ball, they need to look to the draft and maybe some late picks, uh, pickups and free agency to solidify that offense because – Ryan Tannehill has yet to show me that he is the quarterback that they drafted to lead uh, this, this team. And I know Joe and, Philbin, go ahead. And you're right. And, and, and as we like to say, Ryan Tanner killed because he's killing our offense. You couldn't hit Mike Wallace on the deep ball. And I'm just wondering, with the addition of Dan Marino coming in to work in the office, do you send him down to the field to help this kid understand ball protection, you know, aware, pocket awareness, timing, because these are the things that seem to kill us. You know, I mean, him just sitting back in the pocket, you know, holding the ball like he don't know what to do. Do he take that step next year? And if 
you don't, what do you do? Because now you're back in a situation where you don't have a quarterback. And one thing I am thankful for, they did not decide to give him a $100 million contract. <laughs> well, you know, it's great that they did not do that because they, you know, made some poor decisions in free agency. You talk about Darnell Ellaby, Philip Willer, and Mike Wallace, and then Brian Hartline. They gave a significant amount of money to these four guys, and they did not upgrade and add depth on either side of the ball. So I think what Miami is trying to do, and they're trying to learn from those mistakes. Maybe we can go out, like I said, and get some quality wide receivers in the draft and maybe get maybe those second and third tier free agents to bring on to kind of give us balance and, and depth and have those guys in the locker room that can bring along the young guys. And you talked about Dan Marino. Dan Marino is great. He's in an organization. And maybe Ryan Tannehill needs a guy like Dan Marino who's been in Miami, who understands the market and understands the pressure associated with being the quarterback in that particular area and kind of lean on him for some wisdom and some guidance. But get a look, take a look at what Dan Marino had. Now, Dan Marino didn't have a run game. He didn't, in his years, he didn't have a top five defense, but he had quality players on offense. More importantly, Mark Duper and Mark, Mark Clayton. Clayton. <laughs> right. And, 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 and tight end. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're so, absolutely right. So, so for, for Ryan Tannehill, he needs to be surrounded by talent. He's not one of these guys that can actually will his team to win based upon his level of play. And I look at what Russell Wilson has been able to do, a, a 5'10 quarterback in the NFL, what he's been able to do with having pieces around him. So you, you take the talent of Ryan Tannehill and you add some pieces around him. Now we're talking about something a little different. And having, you know, Indominus Sue on that defensive line, that will create some extra possessions for Ryan Tannehill. And now we'll be able to see what he can do with those possessions. Can he get the ball in the end zone? But it's going to be very exciting in the AFC East to see what's going to happen. And uh, I, we, there's a lot of reality TV that's out there. This division is reality TV at its best. It's must-see television. So wait to see once the, schedule, once the schedules come out. You're going to see Miami with Green Bay Packers on the schedule. You're going to see Miami with the Detroit Lions on the schedule. And it's always fun to watch the Bills and the Jets kind of get after it. And having Cromartie and Revis back with the Jets is only going to add to the mixture and just the trash talking back and forth. So, you know, I'm hey, looking man, forward and, to and it. Add, and add Brandon Marshall up there to the mix up in New York. It, it should, you know, call for an interesting season. And, and one more thing before I let you go. Um, I heard you talking about Philadelphia Eagles and Chip Kelly. Um, the moves he's making is mind-boggling. But, however, if he has success with the players that he brings in next season – do you start to look at him as in like a, a, a Belichick type way, not from a championship way, but from a standpoint where it's the system, not the players, you know what I'm saying? Well, when you look at what Chip Kelly's been doing, I mean, he's doing something that's kind of outside the box. And, and in NFL, there's kind of a standard way, a blueprint of doing things. And when, this, and when that blueprint is not followed to T, you know, everyone starts to cast their doubts. That's why I say I reserve my right to criticize, you know, Chip Kelly and the organization until I see more, until the game is played, because you can't win a Super Bowl ring or a championship in March in free agency. We've seen a lot of paper champs, but never have enough in the tank and the back end. But I'm really shocked by some of these moves. I want to see how they unfold at the end. But to answer your question, 
if he's able to pull this off, yes, you, you start to talk about him uh, as far as being a brainiac and understand the game of football like a Bill Belichick, but only to be put in that category, you now have to win some rings. So, Super Bowl, of course. Yeah, you have to win some rings. So it's great to win during the season, put a lot of uh, points on the board, but if you can't get to the promised land and win a ring, all of this is all for naught. So I'm not going to really criticize him right now because I did like what he did by adding, you know, DeMarco Murray, who's going to stand within a division. Uh, you know, I want to see what he's going to do with both DeMarco Murray and Darren Sproles. But I know you are a basketball fan. And right now, <laughs> have you filled out your, your bracket? Because we just had Greg Peterson on, who's a basketball analyst, who told us how to fill out a bracket. Have you filled out your bracket? Of course. And you know, of course, I have Duke at the end winning it all with the experience that they, you know, with the experience that they was able to, you know, go through during the season of the ACC. Because when you're talking about, not to say it's a guarantee we're going to win it, because, of course, the, the, the overall favorite is Kentucky. But as far as being battle-tested, I think, you know, if Duke is able to, you know, make their way through the tournament and find themselves in the championship, I don't think the moment will be too big for them, considering the teams they had to play during the season and, and uh, the anywhere, any anytime mentality that Duke play, takes. So what is your take, you know? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've said it several times on the program that I'm not a Duke fan, but I love the fact that they are in the ACC, represent the ACC. But when I look at the eastern side of that bracket, I mean, you have Louisville at number four, then you have Villanova number one in Michigan State. So you have some big-name coaches, some big-time programs on that side of the board. And watching this Duke team, they've always been great, being able to shoot the three. But defensively, you know, I still have, you know, my concerns. But Greg said himself he has both Kentucky and Duke playing for uh, the championship. I don't know if it's going to happen that way. It would be great for the for Duke program, but more importantly, it would be great for the ACC if that, that were to happen. But I want to see them play defense. You know, that's the one thing that, that once again, I go back to that, that bothered me about this team. It's always bothered me about this team. Playing great defense, and I know they're a great perimeter shooting team, but can you play a solid defense throughout the tournament? That's yet to be seen. But we'll see what, what, what happens here, see if the Duke Blue Devils can make it uh, to uh, th- those final two teams. But uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be a, it's gonna be a great this. tournament. I can tell you this. I can tell you this. It will definitely, definitely make for a good game and probably will be the highest rated NCAA game today. Well, probably. So we have to see, and I know I talked to Greg about this earlier, that the numbers and the viewership has suffered uh, over some time, that basketball as, as a whole and March Madness seemed to be the one thing that hold uh, it, the basketball programs and the conferences together cohesively. So we'll see uh, what happens. But once again, it's always a pleasure uh, you calling and talking to the program. Love to talk sports with you. You know your stuff. So uh, I appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for having me, man. And once again, I'm constantly listening to you, man. So keep up the good work and uh, great job. All right. Thank you. Now, before I get out of here, uh, I want to talk about Chris Boyle and, and his decision to retire from the San Francisco 49ers. Every player makes his own decision as far as what he decides to do and what's best for him and, and his family. It just, it just said I thought the guy, the kid was very talented. And with Patrick Willis retiring, he was going to be that mainstay that they uh, that the 49ers were going to build around. But, you know, you make your own decisions. And, and I hope that technology starts to get better. 
but more importantly that there are other benefits that are put aside uh, for players who either play one or two years or guys who play a 10-year uh, career like myself, that there's something there that can help you when your body starts to really break down and lets you know, hey, listen, here's this, all those years that you play the game. Now it's all coming back. So uh, I like what the NFL is doing, but I still think uh, there's more to be done. I would like to thank my guest, Greg Peterson. Once again, you can find him at GUNA underscore 81. And Victor Green, former New York Jet and my former teammate for joining the program. You can find him at Victor Green 21. Thanks for my guy, Justin, back at Phoenix on the boards. My guys, three amigos here at the Pavilion of Church Scientology for allowing me to film the program here in their facilities. It's Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. Hope your weekend and your brackets are solidified. Have a great weekend. Again, for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 